So today we do have Peter, as I mentioned, part of our teaching team. He's going to be sharing today, continuing our series, How Can Faith Make Life Better? And when Peter isn't here speaking, he's writing for the New York Times. You may have read two of his articles recently, one on WeWork and one on Pacific Gas and Electricity. Very interesting read. So please join me in welcoming Peter Evis. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I like the distinction that you made there, that I'm part of the teaching team, and that makes it clear that I'm not a pastor here, right? Um, so they can easily disown the content, if they, if they, if they, if they need to, that is. Um, and, uh, and if you have any issues with my articles, come and see me as well afterwards. So, um, yeah, so how can faith make life better? That's the, that's the overall um, subject that we're addressing from different angles today. And I, and I thought I'd start out with uh, this person that you may have heard of called Marie Kondo. Um, and uh, have, you, have, you, have you heard of this, this person? Yeah, so she has written hugely popular books about how tidying up can make us feel good. She, I think she is pretty much a genius and has tapped into uh, a very popular desire to declutter, okay? Um, Netflix has made a series um, that shows Maria going into people's homes and applying what she calls the Marie method, and uh, her most memorable idea um, is that we should only keep those things that cause joy, okay? We should only keep those things that cause joy. And the New York Times wrote earlier this year, not something I wrote, that she had initiated something of a national closet-clearing frenzy. Charities have been inundated with donations, and Instagram feeds have overflowed with tidying hashtags like hashtag spark joy and hashtag conmarie. Has anyone done the Comrie method at all in their home yet? You have? How did it go for you, Melinda? It was good? You have more joy? Yeah. I, I see you decided to keep that coat. That was a good, that was a good call. Good call there. Yeah. Um, now, this, this all sounds good, but, but what if you have many things that cause you joy? I mean, I, I think that every one of my cameras gives me joy. At least that's what I tell them every night when I put them to bed. Um, but, but, but Maria might be onto something. There's, there's something, I think, important about being able to discard, okay? And also about deciding what to keep. And, it, you know, we, we often are sort of asking ourselves the question, you know, what do we grow out of and leave behind what do we retain and affirm? What is it healthy to get rid of? You know, sometimes we have no trouble um, discarding things. It feels easy, but other times we hang on to things, and there may be uh, a significant downside to hanging on to those things. And, and, and I'd like to sort of like make the point this morning that letting go of things is um, a big part of the abundant life that Jesus offers us and delivers us, okay? Uh, knowing what to let go of and, and when and how to let go of it, I think, helps us live life 
to the full, the life that Jesus promises. And what's interesting is that Jesus had many things to say about getting rid of the old. And he comes from all sorts of different angles as he talks about this subject. And I think it's really fun to watch and look at his spiritual jujitsu as he comes at this subject, okay? So first, let's take this scripture, Mark 2, 18, 22. Uh, it says this, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples, the disciples of the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, uh, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wise skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. So there's a, there's a little bit of jumping around there, which I like. Um, you know, it's sort of saying, look, you know, fasting used to be the thing you should do, but now it isn't. But hold on, uh, you'll probably will fast again when, like, you know, in those days when I'm dying or I'm dead, right? Um, and then Jesus moves on to the cloth and the wine skins, and it becomes pretty clear quickly that is that his emphasis is very much on moving along, giving up old ways. Uh, the warning in that part of the passage seems to be, you know, throw out the old because it can ruin the new. If you want the new to work, don't try and combine it with the old. So I would say that this passage skews very much towards discarding, but not 100%, which is interesting. Um, and then uh, the next passage is from you know, the book of Acts, which looks at the early church. It's from Acts 11, 6, 9. And at, at this point, Jesus has been resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. But sometimes he makes interventions that he thinks will help the early church. And this one is directed at Peter. And he tells Peter that it's time for him to put aside the Jewish dietary laws that Peter has followed his entire life. Um, he tells Peter to eat food that Peter would consider absolutely unclean, an abomination to put anywhere near his lips. And he's telling him to do that because it will help the church bring new people into the faith. And, and, and in a vision, Peter had seen some creatures that, like, you know, he really shouldn't touch. And, and, uh, and Peter later describes what Jesus said to him at that moment. Looking at it closely... I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. So, so Jesus is, is saying, you know, Right now, God has made it okay. He's, he's put aside those dietary laws that you always used to follow. You can discard them, um, and, and the stuff that used to be in the law no longer applies because, you know, something else is happening. Um, so that's, that emphasis is very much on discarding, you know, almost completely there, actually totally. Um, but there are other times when Jesus um, can can seem to be advocating ta taking the old law very seriously. Um, in our next passage, he, he sounds like a stickler for following the Jewish scriptures. He states that the law and the prophets are unalterable, that they should never be abolished while the world is in existence. And, and, in, and in Matthew 
5, 17, 19, Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, this is kind of a warning here, relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a really like, comp, you know, sort of like a, a subtle passage in some ways. And, it's, and, and, and just to be clear, Jesus is not saying here that we have to keep every aspect of the law. He's saying that he fulfills the law. He's saying that our relationship, and he'll flesh this teaching out further in the Gospels, will replace our relationship with him effectively replaces the law. And, and that relationship will bring us closer to, the, closer to God than the law ever could. Right? And, and, and that's his message throughout the Gospels. But even so, in this passage, the law looks pretty important, pretty darn important. You would not read that passage and listen to Jesus and think it was just okay to discard the Jewish scriptures. You would not get that message, I don't think. So, already in just three passages, we have Jesus coming up the process of discarding in, 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 in quite some different angles. And I think that's exciting. I don't, I don't see that tension between the, the passages as a sticking point. It's not something I have to tie myself in knots trying to figure out. Um, and, and I think that Jesus playing these different angles actually creates an opportunity for us. I see it as, you know, part of something that God does for us, which is that he creates a framework and kind of quite open framework for our faith that helps us respond to the things that actually happen in our lives. Okay, the real things that happen, the organic things that come out of nowhere that actually happen in our lives. We need a framework for those things. Um, the last time I preached a few months ago, I talked about how forcing a piece of scripture to fit life and forcing life to fit a piece of scripture is not good either for scripture or life, right? Um, there has to be room for the Bible to talk and for life to respond, okay? And that's the, in the, that's the spirit with which I wanted to progress today. And I wanted to use um, these passages to speak to us um, with different emphases about discarding and keeping. And what I've tried to do is come up with three ways in which knowing what to discard can make uh, can keep you know can can make life better and have faith works within that. Um, now each of these uh, pointers is is practical. I hope so. You you regular River members that are, are waiting with great expectation um, for the practical suggestions. Uh, these three points will double as your practical suggestions this morning. Okay, so you just just don't feel like I've forgotten that. Okay, so so here's the first one. Knowing what to discard and what to keep helps us engage with change, okay? I think in each of these scriptures, there are very important um, real-world contexts surrounding Jesus as he, as he talks or speaks, okay? In the first one, the one about fasting, the context is Jesus' death, okay? That's going to be a history-altering change that, that Jesus must prepare for, and so must the disciples eventually, or they never really get reconciled to it. And, and it makes sense that something like fasting, which at the end of the day is a mere religious practice, that that can fall by the wayside when something this big is about to happen. 
Um, that's the context there. With Peter and the unclean food, another big change is about to happen. God is going to create an opportunity for the early church to cast a much wider net And it's going to go out and try and reach non-Jews, the Gentiles. And so what God is doing is moving the world on. And and some things need to change for that to happen. And Peter, who's going to be like, you know, at the vanguard of this church, needs to give up some old ways to get on board with that. And what about the last scripture where Jesus says, not one iota of the law will pass from the law? And I think the context there is very interesting. Um, Jesus is at his point um, in, in his ministry where he has to convince people or at least show people in his immediate community that he was the real deal. Okay? Um, it would make sense that at that point he would hold up this thing called the law, the Jewish scriptures, and, and these were the things that everybody said they cared about. Everybody was trying to show how obedient they were to them. And it was kind of important for him to say, actually, I'm even bigger than all that. I mean, it was risky, uh, and it got their attention, and it got him into a lot of trouble, but he had to sort of show that he was going to actually build on what they already knew. And, and that's why I think that context is interesting there. And, and context is important, I think, in, in our life, obviously. Our surroundings you know, don't change at our request very often. Um, you know, the world just kind of rolls on and things change around us. And, and often we have to try and work out, sometimes quite quickly, uh, how to change with them. And obviously, just a quick caveat, I'm not saying that we just go with the flow on all things. Jesus would never support that, obviously. Um, so, so what I'm saying is that, you know, what I'm actually saying is that change is always part of life. And, and it, it's going to affect us in very far-reaching ways. And faith in Jesus gives us the skills to engage with change. And I'm, I've, what I've found in my own life and seen in people's lives around the river is that when change gets challenging, um, you know, faith in Jesus, Jesus himself uh, offers us the chance, the resources, the ability to consult um, so that we can adapt, so that we can be generous and helpful and even be a resource to others as they go through change. And often a big part of that process means discarding things that we've long done and perhaps believed. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, I think there's sort of times where very big subjects come up for the church and it's difficult, but, but it can be done. And uh, I, I, I would look at a very serious thing, uh, a very serious thing, you know, like divorce, which has been a, a, a big issue, obviously, for people uh, outside the church, but also inside the church. You know, in the past, um, being divorced was a major reason for being disqualified from, you know, uh, full-on participation in church life. You know, it was considered such a break in a person's life that it would make you into a sort of second-class citizen in in faith circles. Um, And then what happened, the context, is that divorce became more common. You know, it wasn't just that laws were loosened. It was also that women uh, made advances and started to overcome some real obstacles, um, societal roadblocks. Uh, You know, they had more employment opportunities, for instance, and this means they didn't need to stay with a husband who was abusive or, you know, constantly unfaithful in order to survive and to look after their kids. Uh, And so they could get out of an abusive marriage and hope for a new start, for instance. 
And, you know, all of that led to a situation where society sort of like relaxed a little bit about divorce. And, of course, that meant that people, you know, divorced people started showing up in church looking for a new start, perhaps seeking healing from the, the real strife and pain that, that can be caused by broken marriages. And, um, and then the churches had to decide what to do. You know, would they stick with the old way of making uh, divorcees like second-class citizens, or, or would they actually create an environment of engagement and love? And, and you know, many churches have moved to the second option, and, and I think it's been a good thing. It's not like divorce rates have skyrocketed. They've actually fallen in, in, in recent years. And, and just think of all the good things that God was able to do in those church settings in the lives of those people. He was able to bless them and sort of renew them in ways that were probably amazing, right? And, and I think so that's, that's a good example of how, like, you know, the church saw the context and adapted. And similarly, some churches are now deciding whether to make uh, a, kind of, uh, a kind of similar shift in relation to uh, the LGBTQ community. You know, we here believe that the church should give equal treatment to, to gay people and allow them to be full-fledged members of the church. Um, and, and this can be a, a difficult step for some Christians to make. And, you know, it sort of implies to them... It, you know, they have to throw out things that they don't think should be discarded. Um, uh, and yet, you're not, you know, totally happy with the idea that, that gay people are not treated the same way as everybody else. And so you're sort of maybe wrestling with this. And, and, and if you're in that position, if you're thinking about such a shift, I believe that we can go to Jesus and ask for something that I would call compassionate awareness, okay? And, and by that, I mean the ability just to withhold judgment and view people with compassion and with some understanding and, and, and also with a dash of realism. And I think the compassionate awareness from God has in the past made Christians among the first to, you know, do uh, loving things or to fight evil and provide help. Um, it's the voice that says, hold on a second. Um, society has gone a little odd, off here. Um, you know, the rules and attitudes that have been in place don't really work for this group of people, and it's harming them. Um, let's find another way. Um, yes, it's uncomfortable, but we need to sit down and work out how we can make sure that these people receive God's love. And, you know, the Quakers had it very early on when they opposed slavery in this country, extremely early on in the country's history. You know, and I also think of like the Christian doctors who were very uh, early in helping AIDS sufferers. And, and we can have that compassionate awareness too. And, and, but it's not like a superpower, right? I mean, it's something I think that kind of, I mean, of course, the Holy Spirit can kind of really help us move along, but it's not like something we're just going to have suddenly. Uh, it's more like a way of seeing the world um, that sprouts out of like our constant conversations with Jesus. And, and you know, and I think that like, it's good to talk about Jesus when we feel uncomfortable about change. And so a, a conversation about, you know, where we're looking for sort of like a, a better understanding of, of, of people could start out something like this. You know, it'd be like, Jesus, I want to have a better understanding of why these things are happening. I, I don't want to jump to conclusions, especially at, about other people in their lives. I, I want to give them the same grace as I would have them show me. So help me, Lord, see situations in a rounded, compassionate way. You know, I like the safety of rules, God. I like the fact there's some structure out there. But if that's getting in the way, please talk to me about that. 
that's how we could start a conversation, and, and, and it would go good places, okay? And so definitely today when we have prayer team, ask for some of that compassionate awareness, and, and, and God will definitely follow through, okay? And the change will be a good thing. Okay, second thing. Knowing what to discard and what to keep helps us um, carry forward good things from our past, okay? Now, often change can lead us, leave us yearning for something we ended up kind of leaving in the past. And that can be a real problem, I've noticed, both in my life and other people's lives. It kind of hinders our ability uh, to enjoy what we have today. And so it might be a relationship that broke up and you look back because you feel such a void today uh, because that person is no longer close. And that can make us feel very unhappy about the present. Um, uh, and, loss, and, and that loss, sense of loss can be very powerful. It's often inescapable and real. Um, and we might feel like it's something we can never be free of, but we can be. And, but, you know, we'll need God's guidance to get there um, and, and, and to free ourselves from, 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 what, from, you know, from, from that thing or to, to be able to move on. And so, like, immigrants might understand this. Like, I'm an, I'm an immigrant. I became a citizen. I, I originally grew up in England. I came here, you know, 23 years ago, um, and I became a citizen in um, 2016. Um, and, but I know that moving country... Uh, means leaving certain things behind, things that you're fond of, and, and, and they're good things. And these things may not exist in the United States. They may not exist in New York. You know, like, I, I found this out. Like, I grew up in a, in a place in England where kids would just organically gather each day, and they would make their own fun, and it was a totally separate world apart from adults, and that was part of the magic. And it started at a very young age, um, it, it wasn't all idyllic. I mean, there was a certain, you know, Lord of the Flies aspect to it. You know, <laughs> there was a certain loneliness. <laughs> but you know, I remember it overall with fondness, and it definitely shaped me. Um, but here's the thing: that sort of freedom for young kids does not exist in New York City, even slightly. You know, I've raised. You know, and we're still raising, I guess, two children in, in, in this city. And, and when they were younger, I, I'd often feel sort of angry and depressed about this sort of highly controlled, very patrolled nature of childhood in New York. You know, you could never just let them be. And, um, and I felt a real sense of, like, um, loss that I wanted this thing in the past to exist for them. And... And, and I would sort of worry, you know, are they going to be as resourceful as they could be? Are they going to have any self-reliance? Will they have any interpersonal skills, you know, like that? And so I definitely felt like, um, you know, like a, I'd left something behind and I felt kind of resentful about this city, you know. And, but the good thing about faith is that, that Jesus will help you identify what you're feeling and that's particularly kind of helpful when that feeling is kind of like um, nebulous and kind of deep-rooted. You don't really know how to get rid of it. And, and so we can take that sort of feeling to Jesus and say, look, I have this sort of amorphous, constant negativity in me around this subject, and, and, and I, I don't like it. Uh, I think I know what it's connected to, but I'm not sure. I feel like I'm justified in feeling this, um, but help me out, right? 
And over time, you know, starting conversations like that with Jesus has really helped me. And here's a kind of a sketch of what, you know, some of the feedback he's given me over the years about this thing about not being able, my kids not being able to have the same freedom as I had. And, and it kind of went like this. You know, first he said, kind of like, you know, that time in England um, is never coming back, mate. You know, <laughs> that was my gift to you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, you know. Um, but he also said, like, you know, your kids don't have the same ability to rove, but those days are still in you. And I can help you tap into that as a parent. Look, you're a fun-loving dad, and, and some of that definitely comes from where you grew up, you know, the sense of the you know, ability to create games and have fun. Um, so what you're doing is you're already carrying the past into the future when you do activities with your kids. And I can help you pass on that spirit even more if you want. Um, but you've also got to understand, you know, that, that your kids have their own childhoods. And I will make sure they will be blessed. They won't be blessed in the same ways as you all the time, but they will absolutely be blessed. And, and you know what? Um, it turned out like that, you know? One is about to graduate college, and, and the other, you know, who's like 15, um, was out till all hours last night roving around the city. So I guess, you know, <laughs> I guess the roving did happen in the end, you know. Um, we still, I didn't, you know, still sleep when I got up, so we have to talk to him about that when I get home. But, um, <laughs> but he's not here to embarrass. That would have been sweet, you know. Um, okay, thirdly, kn- knowing what to discard and what to keep helps us in another big way. It helps us overcome the bad that took place in our past. And I think this is the toughest thing to talk about today. Um, you know, as we know, harmful things happen in our lives. They happen, you know, we, they happened in our past. And, um, and when there are those difficult times, we, you know, as human beings, we, we find ways to cope, okay? And those coping mechanisms often become part of our characters. And, you know, mostly these coping mechanisms are not ideal. They, they can hold us back. But interestingly, in certain ways, they can also kind of help us get ahead, at least at least for a time. And, you know, you can see this in a situation like maybe, you know, you had a, a parent who was domineering, um, who, you know, the whole house kind of had to bend to what this one parent wanted. Um, and so you develop coping mechanisms. You know, you would find ways to appease your mother or father and calm them. And maybe, you know, there were lots of strategies you used. Maybe you didn't speak up as much as you should. Maybe you got very good at conflict resolution or conflict avoidance, rather. Um, Maybe you practiced the art of subtly disappearing um, at tense moments. Um, Maybe you also learned that it was dangerous to reveal too much about yourself because it could be used against you, and so you find it hard to be you know, open about what you feel. There's all sorts of strategies that we can develop, and they become part of our character to differing degrees. Um, and in some strange way, they can also help us get ahead. Um, you know, perhaps in the workplace, you know, if you had that sort of person, uh, you're the one that's able to navigate the domineering leader at work better than others. And so you've gotten ahead to a certain extent. But the downside, of course, is that you're willing to subject yourself to maybe unfair treatment or too much yelling. I don't know. 
and maybe you settle for less. Perhaps you would be the boss, or at least higher up, if you were better at standing up for yourself and advocating rather than appeasing others. You know, there's all sorts of things going on here. And, and so, so what do we do if the stuff in our past that we feel is, you know, still shaping us? How do we kind of get rid of it in such a way that we can move along? And I think this passage about fasting is incredibly helpful. So I'm going to read it again. So John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why did John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So what does this teaching tell us about overcoming the lasting impact of bad things in our lives? I think um, is that it just shows us, it gives us a a kind of framework for how being with Jesus can really free us, extricate us, move us along. And I think a lot of it rests on this astonishing image of the bridegroom. You know, how powerful is that image? You know, uh, I think seeing Jesus as the bridegroom, it, it can upend how we see life. You know, it, can, it, it makes us ask this question, is my life fasting or a party? It challenges, and challenges us with that. If Jesus is the bridegroom, you know, the center of the party, is, is our life, it forces us to ask this question, is my life about fasting or is my life a party? It's as simple as that. And we can, you know, it's, it's, it's a question that, 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 that hovers over us. Because what Jesus is saying in this passage is that when he is around and he is in all of our lives, if we want him to be, a banquet is happening. It just is. With him in our life, the party has begun, right? So he's saying, life with me should therefore be defined by abundance, by joy, and endless possibility. And it should absolutely not feel like the deprivation that comes with fasting, right? It should not feel like that. Um, You know, our circumstances may be like that. We may lack for certain things, material things, but the spirit of our lives should, even in that scenario, feel like a banquet, okay? That's the big thing. Party, fasting. That's your choice. And, and, and he's saying our mindset should revolve around wanting more, more of the good things that Jesus has to offer. You know, no one, he's saying, in their right mind would fast from the good things that come from God. No one would ever do that. He says this, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? And Jesus says, absolutely no, they can't. He says they can't do it. And the great thing is, is that we do have the bridegroom with us today. You know, he's, Jesus is our best friend. He's our constant companion. You know, we interact with him. The abundant life will flow. That is the basic setup, right? He rams that point home when he talks about the wineskins. He's saying, look, with me, your life is a new wineskin. 
and it's to be filled up with this great new wine I got from France called Chateau de Leaf Abondant. <laughs> and so but we might respond, hold on, fine, but my life doesn't feel like that way. I feel stretched like that cloth, all those wineskins. I feel like, like something's about to break all the time. You know, this wine, my life feels like the wineskin that's about to like, right? And I can imagine Jesus responding. If that's how you feel, be honest with Jesus about that. No one's expecting you to like take, hold that back when you see a pastor. You're supposed to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. That does not work for me right now. But I can imagine Jesus saying something like this in response. He'd probably say, look, I, yeah, I absolutely see that tearing happening. Um, but you have this new wineskin. Okay, you, you, in following me, have this wonderful new life. You've made so much progress with me. Well done. But my work isn't done yet. You know, I'm still pouring new wine into that wineskin. Um, and, and we can still make that work. I'll make sure that the tearing doesn't happen. And then the conversation will turn to the different ways in which Jesus actually helps. You know, he, you know over, the, over the years in my life and other people's lives, here are some of the things that he can do. You know, he definitely helps us understand the roots of our issues. Perhaps showing us things we weren't able to see or we didn't want to see, making, you know, things that made us uncomfortable we can finally look at and get help for. You know, he can, he can take away the power from the people that have harmed us in the past. They, they won't have a grip on us, you know, uh, uh, like they used to. You know, you know, if you're thinking about a difficult person from the past, Taylor Swift in her new album has some words about him or her. It goes like this. I forgot that you existed, and I thought that it would kill me, but it didn't. It was so nice, so peaceful and quiet. Okay? <laughs> Apply that to that person. You know? and, and Jesus will help us treat ourselves with kindness as well. Right? He, you know, like so much struggles, things like, oh, I'm not measuring up. I need to do more. No. He'll be like, no, give yourself a break. Jesus is very good at putting things in perspective. Like, so we can finally relax and say, you know what? Actually, you know what? If I get there, then I can get there. And if I can get there, I can get there. Oh, wow, I'll be free. And he also gives us a tangible sense of encouragement, like the sort of encouragement that you can actually feel in your soul. Um, He'll provide all sorts of practical places we can get help if we need that. He'll give us friends along the way that we can talk to, and and um, and then and and then and also he'll help us get prayer. You know, we have the prayer team available today, um, and they could ask for powerful moments of healing today, and those could happen. And so all of that can happen on many different fronts at many different times. But here's the thing: it will not feel like fasting. Okay. We will feel like we're in a banquet. We'll feel like we're moving forward with the bridegroom in a mindset that is defined by celebration and joy and freedom and the expectation of much bigger things to come because that's kind of what a wedding is, right? Yes. A bigger thing to come. And so Jesus says this, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. He also said, new wine is for fresh wineskins. And so what I wanted to do today is end with us just thinking about Jesus' invitation to throw out the old wine. Let's ruminate on what that means for us today. What might we want to get rid of? 
Let's think about how Jesus can help with that. How can we move on? What can we affirm? All those different things. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has stirred up some things. Let's just have silence for a minute or so, and then I'll pray for us to end, okay? So Jesus, we thank you uh, for the banquet. We thank you that the banquet is here, and the party that's been going on in our lives can continue and just get even better. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that in that mindset, the one of, you know, celebration, expecting something bigger, you would stir up and do big things in our life, Lord, that you would free us, that you would move us along, that we'd finally be able to discard certain things and understand you and know you more closely. This is the greatest life we could have because of you, Jesus. Amen.